0: Take our Bibles to Revelation chapter number 4. Revelation chapter 4. And last week we only looked at one verse. Tonight we are going to look at ten verses. And so, some weeks it just goes that way. Revelation chapter number 4. Revelation 4. Dave, those shoes are awful white, aren't they? We'll see how long they stay white. And so someone got him those for his birthday, and I'm like, I could feel the presence of the white shoes as he was coming up we'll see how long he can keep them nice like that. And so, I've never, I've never been, personally, I've never been a big fan of white shoes because I feel like they get too dirty too quick. But then, some people do good at keeping them clean. So we'll see how you do, David. Revelation chapter 4, verse number 2. The Bible tells us here, it says, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment, and they had on their head crowns of gold. And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before... The throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. And the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a face faceful man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. <clears throat> and the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure They are and were created. Last week we finished, well a few weeks ago we finished up going through the seven churches. And then last week we looked at verse number one. And we looked at there was a lot of symbolism going on. From as we looked there the door being open in heaven. The trumpet talking and all of these things. And tonight we're going to see a lot more symbolism as we get into chapter number four. And really what's happening here in chapter number 4, John is doing his best to describe the throne room of heaven. And he's trying in some ways, we'll see in a few minutes, John is even trying his best to describe God. And that's a hard thing for anybody to be able to do. And I also, as we look and we study this passage out, my mind goes to that passage in Corinthians that says, I hath not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man the things that god hath prepared for those that love him and so even these descriptions as good and as vivid as they are we cannot personally comprehend what heaven is going to be like and we get some glimpses here and i'm grateful for the glimpses of it but even with this it it, it, we can't even fathom what it's going to be like to be in heaven. So we're going to take some time tonight, and we're going to look at the throne room of heaven and get some things from this passage. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll continue on. Father, we're grateful for this evening and grateful for the fact that we can be here tonight and that we can look at this passage of Scripture. I think it's very interesting that as John gets into heaven there in the Spirit, the first thing that he notices is the throne and you being on that throne. I pray tonight that as we enter this passage and we look at the throne room of heaven, that you would guide us tonight and help us as we're here. And in all reality, it is a tough thing for me to even try to relay what this passage is talking about. To think about heaven and to think about the throne that you sit on. And those beasts that cry out day and night, and the 4 and 20 elders, and we try to break all that down. And just doing all that the past few days, the past few weeks, getting ready for this message has wore me out, really. Thank you for your word. Bless the time that we have here tonight, and may we leave here more appreciative of you and what you've done. And may these messages that we look at as we talk about heaven, may it get our minds focused on you, living for you, and sharing with others the good news of jesus christ so that someday they can be there as well we love you in jesus name i pray amen as we dive into the passage here tonight we look at verse number two and john says and immediately as in the spirit it's very interesting to note that john is still alive during this time he's on the island of patmos and literally left there left to be dead left to never be heard of again and Jesus comes to him, and Jesus tells him, write what you see about me, write about what's going on in all these churches, and then I'm going to show you what's going to take place later on. I mentioned last week, and the reason why symbolism is used a lot throughout the book of Revelation, it's one way that generation after generation can kind of tie it together. Because if, they were, if there are some interesting things throughout Revelation, but John lived a long time ago. So as he's looking at the tribulation, things going on on earth, some of the things that we would look at today and say, oh, well, there's a television right there. That's an airplane. What's John going to say 2,000 years ago? They didn't know what a television was. They didn't know what electricity was. They didn't know what an airplane was. And so... You'll see like tonight, you look at this, these stones that are mentioned, this jasper and this sardine stone, and the colors is what really, and there's a reason, um, something behind it, which we'll look at. So there's a lot of symbolism. We'll look at tonight, these four and 20 elders. Well, why 24 elders? What's so special? Well, who are these 24 elders? And why do they matter to things? And you'll, we'll talk about them in just a little bit tonight. We'll look at those four beasts that are flying around the throne room of God and why they have different faces and why they are crying out to the Lord and all of these things. We'll look at all of that tonight. I tell you as we dive into all of this that I am in no way an expert when it comes to the book of Revelation, all right? And if anybody were to be honest with you, there are no experts. I don't think John would have called himself an expert. I would say Jesus was an expert, but as we look here at this tonight, and you might say, well, I don't know if I agree with you on this, or whatever the case may be. And we might not always agree on every little thing when it comes down to some of the symbolisms and things here. But um, you've got to understand, there's a lot going on in these passages. And so I do my best, as your pastor, to rightly divide the word of truth. Am I perfect at it? No. Do I strive to do my very best? Yes, I do. But my very best is not always adequate. So as we look here tonight, we'll dive in and see where we get to. Number one, we see the fact that God is on the throne. Immediately, we see right away, it says, and immediately I was in the Spirit. And so, do you notice how this takes place? You see in verse number one there, that there was a door open in heaven. He heard a voice tell him to come up hither. And immediately who's in the Spirit. The picture is the rapture and those things. We talked about that last week. And you see who's in the Spirit. And the first thing that John sees as he enters into heaven, the first thing he notices is a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on that throne. And as we look here, this you think about about how neat it is when you might, and I, I haven't traveled much. We were supposed to before COVID or during COVID at that time. We we're supposed to go to Washington, D.C. I haven't been to Washington, D.C. yet. I've never been to uh, oh, and, and what is it? over? over well, why is my mind blinking? Buckingham Palace and things like that. I've never been to any of those types of places but it would be kind of neat to see some of the thrones and things here on Earth. Could you imagine though the throne room of heaven and on that throne, God sitting there. And as we look and we think about that tonight, what does it represent? The first thing I believe that it shows us, letter A, is the fact that God has absolute authority. It's what it pictures for us. And the first thing John sees is a throne set in heaven, and the throne speaks of sovereignty and authority. And literally, we are viewing the one who has absolute authority over everything that happens in heaven, And in earth I know we look today at our world and we look at the mess the world's in In all reality the lord has let satan have control Because he is the one who has all control And don't ever forget that he is in absolute control And that's a blessing for us to realize tonight that god is still on his throne And no matter what happens or what goes on around us god is still seated on his throne And no one can take the Lord out of his throne. It's a good thing you don't have to vote every four years who's on the throne room of heaven. God has always been in charge there, and he always will be in charge in heaven and here on earth. He has the absolute authority. The Bible tells us in Psalm 47, verse number 8, God reigneth over the heathen, God sitteth upon the throne of his holiness. I want you to realize tonight as we start out and when we the first thing we view as we enter into the into heaven is the throne room of God and we see the Lord sitting on his throne. You'll notice it says look at that verse there and immediately as in the spirit and behold a throne was set in heaven that word set speaks of stability firmness durability. And the fact that God's throne was set there, it literally lets us know that no one could ever take it down. No one could do anything to the throne of God. It is God's throne, and it belongs to Him and Him only. And when we think about these things, you realize the fact that He has absolute authority. What we also see here in this passage is, letter B, that John tries his best to describe God. And we're going to see some of that here in just a moment. Now, as we look at this, a question that people have asked me before, who's the one sitting on the throne? Because we know the Bible tells us that at the end of all things, that Jesus is the judge of all things, right? Because the Father's given to the Son the ability to judge all things. Well, to help us understand who is sitting on this throne, we could see in chapter number 5, who's sitting on this throne. So chapter number 5, verse 5 through 7 says, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth, and he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. So this tells us that it is not Jesus sitting on the throne right here. This is God sitting on the throne. God the Father sitting on the throne. And Jesus is there. The Spirit of God is there. The Godhead is there. And I know you might say, well, isn't Jesus God? And God is Jesus. And yes, they are all one. But they all are three distinct parts as well. And I know we will never fully understand that completely. But on the throne, as we study tonight in Revelation chapter number 4, God the Father is on the throne. He's the one sitting on the throne. This is who John is looking at. He sees him sitting there on the throne. Now look at what he says about him on the throne here in verse number 3. And he that sat, so God the Father, the one sitting on the throne, this is how he describes him here he says, was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. So as we look here and we see, as John tries to describe God for us here, there are a few things, some symbolisms and some things he gives. The first thing he says, as we look there at verse number 3, he was to look upon like a jasper stone. A jasper stone is a stone that is bright and clear. The word like shows that it's symbolic here. So is God literally a stone? No, He is like. Do you see how the symbolism is there? So make sure you get that as we look through here. And it is possible a jasper stone is probably a diamond, pretty close to a diamond, maybe even a diamond. And I know we have, I think, Debbie, you're the you're the rock expert, right? And so, what? St- st- uh, what would you call them? Sorry, I didn't mean rocks, but you know what I mean. Gemstones. See, it shows I'm not an expert at all because I just call them rocks. So, Debbie would know more about these things than I would. I know she does. She could, you know, me, I see a cubic zirconia. I'm like, oh, that's nice. And, you know, maybe I'll put that in a ring for Caroline. But then I realize if Debbie ever sees that, she's going to tell Caroline that that's not a real nice stone. So I can't do anything like that. Thanks a lot, Debbie. But anyways, when we look, we see, first of all, a jasper stone. And when you think about a diamond, it's a hard stone. And there's firmness to it. And what this comparison is, when we look at this bright and clear stone, what we see is, in the context here, really we think about the firmness and the unchangingness of God. And so, when you look at God, He does not change. He is firm. He is unchanging. The Bible tells us, I am the Lord, I change not, We think about Jesus Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when you see the throne of God and you think of God and you think about this stone, you think about the fact that God's laws do not change. The one sitting on the throne, he is unchanging. He is firm in where he stands. But the second stone that you see is a sardine stone. And this is a blood red stone, the color of it. And, uh, it reminds us that well, God is sovereign, has absolute power, and how the fact is we look here and we think about that He's unchanging, we also realize that God is a God of redemption. Because any time you see that bright red, you think of blood. And the blood of Jesus redeeming us from our sins. And so when you look at this I'm so thankful to know that God is unchanging, that he's powerful, that he's an absolute authority, he's unchanging, his laws do not change, but at the same time, he's a merciful, redemptive God that is willing to forgive us our sins through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's a blessing to know because when you see a throne, you think of someone with judgment, right? And with God, and this is what you want. When someone is an authority and places judgment, you want them to judge right, right? Do you notice in our system of government today? There is not fair judgment that goes on a lot of times, correct? And, what we, and this is the thing, I don't care who the person is, whatever our laws are, they should be judged by the laws. That's how it should be. And it shouldn't matter if you are a Republican or a Democrat. In all reality, judges shouldn't be Democrats or Republicans. Judges should follow the law. Same thing in the Supreme Court. It's not about what side they stand on. They should take the laws of the land and judge fairly based on those. Our Justice Department, all of them, and we're hearing a lot about lots of different things in our Justice Department, where some get judged one way and yet someone else gets judged another way, we don't like to hear that because they should judge fair all the way across the board. If someone does wrong, there are punishments for the wrong that is done. And it doesn't matter what your last name is, it should be the same judgment all the way across the board. That's where when we look to heaven and we see that Jasper stone and we think about God, you don't have to worry about him judging fairly. He judges right every single time. But in the midst of that, we see the fact that he is a God of redemption and a God of mercy. And thank God for his mercy and thank God for his grace and how he works in our lives. Something that you might not have noticed, or maybe you already knew this, but before we leave these two stones, did you know the Sardis stone and the Jasper stone were the first and the last stones? in the breastplate that the high priest would wear in the Old Testament. The Bible talks about that in the book of Exodus, chapter 28. And then you got the verses there. It says, And thou shalt set it in settings of stone, even four rows of stones. And the first row shall be a sardis, a topaz, a carbuncle. This shall be the first row. The second row shall be an emerald, a sapphire, and a diamond. And the third row, a Legir, an agate, and an amethyst. And the fourth row, a beryl, an onyx, and a jasper. And do you notice that the first and the last stone that was in the breastplate, and what the 12 stones in the breastplate that the high priest would wear represented the people, the tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so what they represent is the fact that God, and I believe the throne of God represents the same thing, that God will keep his word and do everything that he's promised to do. When John saw God on his throne, he saw him like a jasper stone and a sardine stone. Then the next thing we see mentioned is that look at it talks about a, an emerald rainbow around about the throne. Now, when we think of a rainbow, now do you see how it says this is a different type of rainbow than the rainbows we see today? Do you know if we say it's a the other day? There were some clouds just a couple days ago, and we were going somewhere after church. It was Sunday night, and Caroline and the kids were all in the car, and they saw a piece of a rainbow. Now, we would call a full rainbow where it stretches from one side to the other. This is a different type of rainbow. It's roundabout, it's a full circle, it's a full rainbow. It's also an emerald color, which is what color is that? That's green. So it's a little different than the rainbow here. But why do you think that there is an emerald rainbow round about the throne of God? Why did God give the rainbow to begin with? As a promise. Not for pride, for for a promise. What was the promise? Back in Genesis chapter number 9, the Bible tells us, there and then, chapter number nine of Genesis, verse eleven to seventeen. I'm going to take my Bible and turn there. You can turn there as well. It does us good to see what the Bible has to say and see wh- where the rainbow comes from. I think that's good for us to know. You got to realize everything that God does, Satan always tries to have a counterfeit for it. It's always the way it works. And there, look at there at chapter number nine, and it says. In verse 11 it says, And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there be any more flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall no more flo- become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth And God said to Noah, this is the token of my covenant, which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. And when we look at that there, you think about the fact that God says every time he sees it, he remembers his promise. Now, does God need to remember things? No, he's not like us. How many of you forgot to do something today that you were going to do? I did that earlier. Today. I helped my parents out this afternoon. And I was i was going to the kitchen to get something. And I, there was a purpose in what I was doing. I got to the kitchen. And I didn't remember what I was supposed to be doing. I went back and sat down with them for a few minutes. And then, oh, that's what I was doing. And I went and finished what I was supposed to do. I don't know. I think I'm a little young to be doing that already. But, you know, they say you are who you hang around. And just look in this room. I think that's where it comes from for me. And so... But God doesn't need to be reminded. But isn't that, I just think it's a wonderful fact that even in the throne room of heaven, there's a rainbow there reminding God of his covenant. But I also think it helps those who see it remember God's covenant. And there's a lot to that there. We see that John describes what he sees there on the throne. And he sees the Lord like a, jasper and a stone he sees that rainbow round about the throne and then we see next as we go a little bit further number two we see the people around the throne verse number four says and i'm looking in genesis that doesn't look right at all so let me go back to revelation chapter number four we look at verse number four and we see these elders mentioned here revelation four verse number four and round about the throne were four and twenty seats. And upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. Now, up to this point, everything we've seen up in heaven that John's talked about, there's been symbolism for all of it, right? And there has been. You'll even notice in chapter 5 he, that Jesus is as a lamb slain. Is he literally a lamb No, he's not a literal lamb, but he's like a lamb slain. That's where you got to realize these things. So when we look here and we look at these people, the people round about the throne, who are these people? Who are these four and twenty elders? Some people think that they're angels. Some people think they're cherubims. Some people think that they're Whatever the case may be, but did you know that not one time in the Bible are elders ever referred to as angels? You don't ever see that. And then there are others that think they represent other... There, there are some Baptists out there. And I, I'm a Baptist, so I, 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 I will tease Baptists because I am a Baptist. I don't tease other people because I'm a Baptist. I'll tease, But there are some Baptists that feel only true Baptists are these 24 elders. And unless you can trace... The, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding right now. They literally think unless you can trace your baptism back to John the Baptist. And there are people literally that will trace their baptisms back there. And you have to get baptized by someone who was baptized along the line through John the Baptist. And then you are part of that inner circle of heaven. And it, that's, it's craziness. I don't believe that, okay? Okay. There's a, there's a lot more I go down that road with that stuff. But literally, well, who are they? My opinion. Are you ready for my opinion? And this is Brian's opinion. Because it doesn't say directly, but I'm going to tell you why I have this opinion in a minute. I believe that the 4 and 20 elders represent us, the redeemed children of God. Say, so, well, how do you see that in this passage? I'm glad you asked that. There are several things that I see in this passage that make me think it's us. First of all, we see um, as we look here, and uh, am I skipping ahead in my notes? Did I skip a little bit there? So first of all, letter A. Sorry, I was jumping ahead of myself. Letter A, who are these individuals? And I already told you, so I already jumped ahead. I jumped ahead of where I was. And so who are these individuals? And as we think about who these individuals are, Science so interesting, where do you get 24 elders from? I think that you could get 24 elders from Revelation 21, verse 12 through 14. It says, and had a great wall. It's talking about heaven and high. and had 12 gates, and at the 12 gates, 12 angels, and the names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates... And on the south three gates, and on the west three gates, and the walls of the city had 12 foundations, and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So you have the 12 tribes of Israel, and you have the 12 apostles. Add that together, and even with common core math today, I think it still adds up to 24. I, they would take a long way to get to that number. But and you say, well, how does that work? So where does, think about God's people where they begin. The children of Israel, correct? And then who laid the foundation for us? The apostles. 12 plus 12, 24. The 24 represent all of us. That would be my answer for that there. You will notice too that in the Old Testament that David appointed 24 Levites to represent the entire priesthood. Why? Because if you had, if you talked about all those priests there, it would have been a big group of people. And so as we look here and we think about these elders, I believe that it represents us. Now, as we think about this, what are they doing in heaven as we look here? They're sitting. You all like to sit. Look at you tonight, right? We're sitting. here I'm not I'm standing but as we look at these people they're sitting and what does sitting signify it signifies rest you've got nothing to do right so you're sitting down and so their labors are over they're sitting at rest in the presence of God in heaven and so we see these things did you realize today that we are seated in heavenly places the Bible tells in Ephesians 2, verse number 6, "...and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus." So in all reality, I know this is hard for us to imagine, but we're already seated in heavenly places. You're like, I'm not seated in heaven tonight. I know you don't feel like it. But according to that verse, in the tense of that verse, we are already seated in heaven. So these elders, what are they doing? They're seated in heaven, and what and what else? Let her see. What are they wearing? They're wearing. They're clothed in white raiment. The Bible tells us here. Look at the back of that verse. It says, "I saw the four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting, clothed in white raiment." Now, when we think about white raiment, we think about the fact that the Bible talks about the righteousness of the saints, right? And you can find that in Revelation 19, verse number 8. And to her was granted, and this is the bride of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, right? And not just certain Baptists, but if you're a saved child of God, you're part of the bride of Christ. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. So these elders, these 24 elders, they're seated, they're clothed in white raiment. And think about this, when God saved us, he cleaned us up. You understand we were guilty sinners before God. Guilty. And we know we're guilty. And yet, when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, He declares us justified, just as if we never sin, and He he forgives us. And when it comes to our standing in God, you think about what the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6.11, and such were some of you, but you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So as we look here and we think about these facts, we see the fact that... As that we've been declared righteous. We have the righteousness of Christ on us. That's what that represents. It's imputed to us. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 5, verse number 1: it says, therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And you notice that all these things happen through Christ. And so as we look here, we see these 4 20 elders. They're seated, they're wearing, they're clothed in white raiment, and then what else do they have? Letter D. What are the crowns on their head for? They have crowns, right? Now, we could look later on, go down to verse 10, and we'll look at this in a few minutes. But in verse 10 it says, The four and twenty elders fell down before him that sat on the throne and worshipped him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne. So the elders that are there, representing all of us being there, we're going to be clothed in white raiment, seated there. There's going to be a time that we praise the Lord. And I think there's going to be multiple times. That's what heaven's going to be all about. That's why if you can't get excited to sing praise and to worship God now, this is practice because we get to do it for all eternity. And it's going to be an awesome thing to hear voice after voice, all lifting up praise to the one who deserves praise for all those that deny him today and all the things that happen. I can't wait to where he just hears constant praise from his people and we get to be with him. But what are those crowns for? Those crowns are there so we can cast them at his feet. In the New Testament, there are two types of crowns mentioned. The Greek word, one of them is diadem, D-I-A-D-E-M. And this is the word to describe the crown that Jesus will wear when he returns in power. And the Bible talks about that crown in Revelation. And we're there in Revelation. Let's go look at this one real quick. Chapter 19, Revelation 19, in verse number 12, it tells us there, His eyes were as the flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. The crown that he is wearing, that word, is where the word diadem comes from. And it's really talking about, it's a kingly crown, a crown of glory. Now, the other type of crown, and what is mentioned here, the crowns on these four and twenty elders' heads, and the crowns that they cast before the Lord is the word Stephanus. Or St- Stephanus? Stephanus? Steph? Right around there. S-T-E-P-H-A-N-O-S. It refers to a victor's crown, and like someone would be in a um, think about an athletic contest, and you receive a trophy or a crown. That's the crowns that the four and twenty elders have. It's a different crown than the glorious crown that Jesus will have because He is the King. But do you think about these crowns? And we've mentioned them before, and I'm just going to run through them real quick. But do you realize as we live this life for the Lord? There are crowns that we can get. And those crowns, the point of getting a crown is not so we can have a nice crown, a nice shiny crown to wear around heaven and say, look at what I did! The point of having a crown is to be able to cast at Jesus' feet and to worship the one who's worthy to be worshipped. And someday, all that we do here on earth, all the works that we do, are going to be tried by fire. It's going to look for the motive behind what we do. And those that are made up of wood, hay, and stubble, they're gonna burn up. Those that are done right for the Lord, they're gonna be rewards. And those rewards we will have to cast at the feet of Jesus. And I, I'm kinda selfish on this one. I want a lot of crowns. I do. Not because not for myself. None of us have seen Jesus. I know people claim to. There's that little tortilla where people say they saw Jesus in the tortilla and things, but I, you have not, literally, you want to see something crazy? Type in Google, the Jesus tortilla. Not, and then on YouTube, you'll see this video of this woman that literally left a tortilla on the burner a little too long. And she, it looked like the imprint of Jesus' face. And she's made a shrine out of it. She has a little thing. I'm not kidding. Literally, there's the, the Jesus tortilla. So there you go. And uh, you just look at it sometime. But none of us have seen him. And when we see those nail-pierced hands, those nail-pierced feet, and we see the one who did everything for us, every one of us in this room, even if you gave God your very best 24 hours a day, seven days a week, your entire life, your entire existence, you're going to see him and you're going to wish you did more because it will never compare but I want as many crowns as possible to give to my Savior. There are many crowns that are mentioned. We'll just run through them real quick. I've gone through these before. There's the crown of life. The crown of life. And this crown is given to those who endure temptations and trials of life. James 1.12 talks about it. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Revelation 2.10 talks about fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And so there's the crown of life. There's the crown of righteousness. Paul talks about this crown at the end of his life. In Second Timothy 4, verse number 8, henceforth there's laid up for me, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all those also that love his appearing. And that's a crown that's given to those who live in light of the Lord's return, this coming. Those that long for and love the fact that he's going to come, there's a crown for that. There's the crown of glory, and that's found in 1 Peter 5, 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, he shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And some people say that's one that only a pastor can get because the verses before that talk about what a pastor does. But I think anyone that faithfully teaches the word of God, I think that would apply there. I think, but that's what I think. There's the crown of rejoicing, number four. And this crown, Bible tells us in Second Thessalonians two, verse number nineteen, says, "For this, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming?" And I believe that this crown is for those that faithfully witness and share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And then there's the imperishable crown. And that crown the Bible talks about in 1 Corinthians 9.25, And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. And there's so, so much more I could say about these crowns, and I've talked about them before. And the fact is, the point of getting crowns is not so you can have a bunch of crowns on your head walking around heaven being like, look at me, look at me. It's all about giving those crowns to Jesus and worshiping him, which we'll see here in just a minute. And so, as we look here, we see God's on the throne. We see the people, the four and twenty elders. I think I've tried to explain to you who those are. And then number three tonight... And lastly, we see the worship that takes place before the throne. And this is what we see here, verse 5 through verse 11. And so as we look here, we see first of all, as we see the worship before the throne, letter A, we see the scene around the throne. Verse 5 and 6, it says, And out of the throne proceeded lightnings and thunderings and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God, and before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne were four and twenty beasts full of eyes before and behind. The first thing that we see as the scene around the throne, we hear lightnings, thunderings, and voices. That speaks of judgment that is coming. It's signaling the fact that judgment is on its way. The Bible talks about in the book of uh, Exodus. And you think about this, when Moses went up, well, let's read it here. Exodus 19, verse 16 and 19 says, And it came to pass on the third day in the morning that there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of the trumpet exceedingly loud, so that all the people that was in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at neither part of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke, because the Lord descended upon it in fire, and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace, and the whole mount quaked greatly. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake, and God answered him by a voice. And we're going to keep on reading there, the people are like, You know what, Moses? You can go up and be with God. We'll just stay back here. You go up, you can talk to God for us. We'll just stay back and let you do your thing. But do you notice how the lightnings, thundering, and voices that are before the throne of God are the same thing that were there on Mount Sinai when God was there? And it's about who God is and His judgment that's coming. You'll also notice the seven lamps of fire we see. Now these seven lamps of fire, this is... The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit in His fullness. Isaiah chapter number 11 goes into the Spirit of the Lord, and it talks about the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, counsel, might, Spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. And so this is the thing, you think about it when it comes to the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, for us and in our lives, He does a lot of different things, but He's our our comforter today, right? He convicts us. God uses him. And you've got to understand something. The Spirit of God, so as we look here at the worship around the throne, you have the thunderings and voices, you have that judgments coming, you have the seven spirits of the Spirit of God, his fullness there, and seven represents completion, right? And then there's a sea of glass like unto crystal. Now, if you ever, now, there are a few times I've been near bodies of water where they've been almost Still. And it does kind of look like glass, right? But most of the time it's not that way because there's waves, the wind blows, and the water is not calm. But when we look here, what this, what this shows us is, it shows us the fact that God's judgment is coming and that the, the Spirit of God is there. But when we look at this, the sea is flat. Do you know in the Old Testament when it came to the, uh, when it came to the tabernacle, there was a, a lever that, would, that they would wash in. You notice here that this sea, it is calm. There's nothing to be washed there. What it tells us is, what you see and what it pictures, I believe, is the fact that God's judgment's coming. And when you get there, there's nothing to do to change it. You can't repent and get clean then. you got to do it before you get there. That's why it says a sea of glass, because it's calm. So as we look here, we see the lightning, the thundering, the voices, the seven lamps of God, the sea of glass like unto crystal. And then we see two groups praising God. Now as we look at these two groups, and I'm... I'm really interested when we get to heaven. The first group, number one, is the four beasts, because there's quite an explanation for these beasts. Look at these beasts. So it says um, there at the end of verse number, and were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. So they got eyes everywhere. It's kind of like you know, it's kind of like your mom when you were growing up. I don't know how she. I don't know how my mom saw all the things that I did. Even today, I was talking with her about something. It's like she saw. She doesn't even know who I am half the time, but she still sees things. I'm like, you still got it. You still got that. And uh, I was teasing her because when I first got there today, she wasn't sure who I was. But then later on, she we were good and everything was going fine and stuff like that. But I said, so you've been my mom a long time. Do you know how long you've been my mom? I just want to see. Since the day you were born. Good answer. Now, could she tell you what the day was I was born today? No, but she knew. She's been my mom since the day I was born. It's like a good answer. She's on the ball with that one today. But as we look here, we see these four beasts. The first thing is we see their description. Look at their description here. It says, They were full of eyes before and behind, and the first beast was like a lion, and the second beast like a calf, and the third beast had a faithful man, and the fourth beast was like a flying eagle. Do you see that word like? The symbolism there and all of that once again? The word beast there is the Greek word zoon, where we get the word zoo from. And zoology, It's where that word comes from. And it has the idea, the word has the idea, zoon has the idea, all living ones. So you think about this, all that God created, Right? All the different he created all the animals. He created the human, he created all of us. And so as we look here, we see the fact that they have eyes before and behind. It speaks of their intelligence, complete intelligence. The one that is like a lion represents the wild animal life. The one like a calf represents the domesticated animal life. The one like a man is supposed to represent intelligent life. And sometimes man represents intelligent life, and sometimes I think some of the animals have more intelligence than us. But anyways, and then the fourth one's like an eagle, and that represents bird life. So what happens is these four beasts represent the entirety of God's creation gathered before him. They had six wings, speaks of swiftness. They rest not, they continue to do this Over and over. And even we go back to the book of Isaiah and see that they were crying out, holy, 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 in the book of Isaiah. Now we're looking into the future. They constantly cry out in worship to the Lord. He's the creator of everything. And we all exist. Everything he made exists for his glory and his pleasure. And that's their crying that out. And they're declaring, and we see letter B, that they're declaring God's holiness. And they're crying it out, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And we think about that word holy, set apart, separate. There is no one like God. And it's, he's a thrice holy God. Some say, well, that's the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That could be. Well, as we look at it, he's a holy God tonight. They're declaring his holiness. They're declaring who he is. And before we go a little bit further, I want to give you one other thing about these four beasts. These four beasts also picture and represent the different sides of Jesus Christ, which are found in the Gospels. If you were to take the Gospels and break them down, the book of... So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I hope you know who the what the Gospels are. As a Christian, you should know the, the, the Gospels. And so with the Gospels... The book of Matthew represents Jesus Christ as the king of kings. And when you think of a king, you think of a lion, right? So do you see how the lion represents Christ and it represents the book of Matthew? The second beast had the, had, was like a calf. A calf, the book of Mark, represents Jesus as a servant, and so that calf represents Jesus as a servant and as, a, um, as the book of Mark. The third one you have is the face like a man. The book of Luke represents Jesus as the perfect son of man. And so when you study the book of Luke and you go through there, it represents Christ as the son of man and gives some things about him totally different than the other gospels do. And then the book of... Uh, John represents Jesus as the Son of God. And we think about an eagle. It's a portrait of Jesus and him, and him coming down to us. So what you have is in these four beasts, you have all of the animal kingdom and mankind worshiping the Lord, but it's also a picture of Jesus Christ, the fourfold picture of Jesus Christ, scene of Jesus Christ in the four Gospels. Now that takes a lot to, that. I know that's like, that, that's what it does in my head too, when you take the time to really think about that. But it's an amazing thing when you look at it. And then, not only do you have the four beasts, but number two and lastly, you have believers. The four and twenty elders come back on the scene. And it says in verse nine, it says, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders Fall down before Him that sat on the throne and worship Him that liveth forever and ever. And do you see what we do with our crowns? We cast them at His feet before the throne saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for Thou hast created all things and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. Now when we look at this, we see believers, what are we doing? Letter A, casting our crowns at His feet. No one's making anybody worship anybody here. We will be doing it. Not only that, but we see letter B, we will vocally be praising God. They declare His worthiness. Thou art worthy. Why? Because they declare His power. You created all things. You're God. You have the right to whatever you want. You have all the glory, the honor, and the power. And literally, heaven will be enthroned with us praising him.